This episode of the Model Railway Show is made possible with the support of the National Model Railroad Association. With free event and show insurance for members and clubs, we make it even more fun. Welcome to the Model Railway Show. I'm Trevor Marshall. And I'm Jim Martin. Trevor and I are honored to be your hosts as we continue to explore the deep reservoir of creativity upon which our hobby floats. You could say that we're going beyond water cooler talk to bring you water tank talk. This time around, grab your scale ruler and order another box full of styrene, wood, and detail parts. Bob Walker, who writes the Scratch Builder's Corner in every issue of Railroad Model Craftsman magazine, is Jim's guest later in the show. He'll be here to tell us about the joys of scratch building and his new book on the subject. But first, it's time to pull another new book down from the shelf. It's the 2011 edition of the ON30 Annual, 116 pages packed with inspiration from people who love to build stuff. Chris Lane is the editor, and he's with Trevor now. Many modelers have a strong opinion about ON30. Some think it's the best thing to happen to the hobby and may even save it. Others think it's, well, goofy would be a polite way to put it. But there's no debate when it comes to the quality and quantity of modeling in the ON30 world. For the ON30 enthusiast, everything, regardless of scale, gauge, or even what hobby it was created for originally, is a potential source of kit-bashing components, and from a few legends like Gordon North, ON30 has emerged as one of the most active segments in model railroading. What's more, the people doing it often seem to be having a lot more fun with the hobby than everybody else. The secret to hobby happiness just might be O-scale models running on HO gauge track. Since 2006, this talented and fun-loving community has had an annual publication to call its own. It's called the ON30 Annual, and the 2011 edition is now on sale from Carson's Publications. Today we're joined by its editor, Chris Lane, who's going to tell us what you'll find inside. Welcome to the Model Railway Show, Chris. Well, thank you, Trevor. It's great to be here. And let me take a second and thank you for all you've done for narrowgate modeling in particular and uh, a little bit in the ON30 side. Well, thank you. It. I appreciate that. Now, right, I, one of the things I liked about the ON30 annual is right on the cover, there's this banner, narrow gauge railroading for everyone. That sounds like a mission statement to me. What does that mean? It really is a mission statement. I'm a business guy. I have a business background. And I definitely wanted to put that right on the cover. No false advertising. You know what you're getting. I always believed that there was thousands and thousands of latent narrow-gauge modelers, but they had erected a lot of barriers to entry into narrow-gauge, some of them real and some of them kind of in their own mind. Price or, you know, adherence prototype or skill level or what have you. When Owen 30 came along, though, those barriers were by and large uh, done away with. Certainly, uh, the Bachman and some of the other companies that uh, came in made very reasonably priced equipment that was nicely done, ran well. And a number of people who maybe wanted to try but had been afraid in the past jumped in. And, and that's why we created that magazine. We wanted to show that anybody could get involved in narrow gauge. Indeed they can. In fact, I once heard a very famous model railroader, actually, and I won't embarrass him by naming him, but I heard him proclaim that as the hobby population ages, and particularly as our eye-hand coordination diminishes, ON30 is going to be the savior of model railroading. What's your take on that? I would 
think that's uh, at least true to a certain extent. The thing about Owen 30 is regardless of your size of your layout area, you can have a pretty nice layout that operates very well and is very enjoyable in a small space. And if you happen to have larger space, you can go on up and build as big a layout as you want. But as our eyes are not as good, or if our manual dexterity decreases a little bit, certainly it has a form factor that's very easy to deal with. It's big enough to see, big enough to work on, yet it does not take up near the amount of physical room with the rolling stock and the locomotives as, say, a large scale would. But you still get that nice in-your-face feeling of O-scale. Right, and that's what makes Owen 30 that. You have very modest radiuses, depending on your equipment, but it doesn't take up the kind of room that other scale gauge combinations can. Now, this year's edition of the ON30 Annual is bigger than ever, in part because you've had so many articles you've wanted to include. Those working in ON30 are known for being active modelers, but are they also getting even more prolific on the writing side? What's driving them to create and then write about it? I think it's a combination of tolerance and acceptance. And what I mean by that is, you know, as a country, we always talk about tolerance, but as model railroaders, we're just not always as tolerant as we should be. And you'll hear, ah, I'll hang out with that guy. He's an N-scaler. Or what's with those narrow gauge weirdos? And because the Owen 30 modelers tend to come from other scales or other disciplines, they just have a broader view of things and tend to be quite tolerant of one another and what they're doing and like to share. And certainly the acceptance part, I think, came in partially because of the annual when you have your own scale-specific publication, then you have kind of a, a flag to rally around. And when we went down to the Narrow Gauge Convention in Durango a few years back, I think everybody was surprised at how many ON30 specific modelers came to that convention. And they ended up winning quite a few of the awards. So there was no doubt that their skill level was right on par with everybody else's. And I think those two things in combination are just driving people to share what they've done and uh, show it to their friends and, more importantly, share how they did it. I guess one of the things about them coming from all these other scales is that they're much, you you were talking about tolerance and about people sort of dismissing things because it's not in the scale that they work in normally. And one of the great things about ON30 modelers is that they do look at products from all scales as sources of material to work on, don't they? Indeed. You mentioned in the editorial note for the ON30 issue that 2011, you're sort of returning to ON30's roots. You've got a stronger focus on rail trucks and industrial rail roading in the annual than maybe you have in past years. As a scale, I guess, has it been drifting towards uh, more common carrier lines like the DNRGW as manufacturers offer those prototypes? Or what happened there? And are you thinking that maybe they're shifting back into the world of critters? Well, I think you've got a couple things going on simultaneously. The roots of ON30, of course, were back quite early. It's commonly thought back in the 60s, but research indicates that it was going on even before that. But you had a, a HO mechanism and you built a new body for it or changed the cab or did something and, and Owen 30 it. And with Bachman's product, it was very well suited for industrial slash critter type modeling. As more of the common carrier narrow gates came along from other manufacturers and some of the manufacturers, say like San Juan, who were making that stuff said, you know, there's there's also a market in 130 and I'll provide trucks for them. You did see a, a rise in that. But I think you're also seeing the rise in the critter guys and, and we'll just call it critter 2.0. 
they've always been there, but they've gotten a little more interested in prototype than they perhaps once were, and found you know Whitcombs and all sorts of other things that they maybe weren't aware of that are very inspiring to them. And interestingly enough, Bachman, with their trolley models and their maintenance of way and some of their new HO scale products, uh, like Thomas the Tank Engine, have provided a tremendous amount of mechanism and kit bashing fodder for them to take it to the next level. That's really interesting. You're just mentioning that the people who traditionally model critters are, have now been looking more at some of the prototype stuff instead of being strictly freelancers, which I guess a, a lot of them were. Are they finding that that's an added challenge and even more fun for them to try and replicate, say, a specific Whitcomb? Well, yeah, and that's the fun thing. Jim Eakin has been providing industrial diesel information for many years, and they are as funky and as varied and as home-built as anything a model railroader could ever imagine. And so knowing that, in fact, it's prototype not to be prototype has really inspired these guys. Now, ON30 modelers are famous for kit-bashing models and creating some real masterpieces. What are some of the examples of that in this year's annual that you particularly are proud to bring to the readers? Well, there is a number of examples of, of that sort of thing in this particular issue. One of my favorite ones, if we want to talk about uh, mainline, is something that Bill Iwam did. He took the new Bachman pinwheeler and said, you know, I'm going to see if I can make it into RGS number 20. RGS number 20 is an icon. Everybody knows what it looks like. And the Bachman prototype is really not exactly, well, for starters, it's Baldwin as opposed to a Schenectady. But if you look at his model when he's all said and done with a minimum amount of changes, it's a very good representative of number 20. We also have a fellow who's actually kit-bashed a Vulcan duplex. And you want to talk about going out on a, a limb and industrial, Google Vulcan duplex and see what you come up with. There is virtually no prototype information available anywhere. They just didn't build that many of them. But here's a fellow that uh, found a couple mechanisms, got a couple photos, and put together a very nice model of this very rare locomotive. What do you look for in an article? You only have so much room in the magazine, even though it has gotten bigger. Are there any aspects of ON30 modeling that you'd like to cover in more detail in future issues? You know, that's a funny thing about this, Trevor. Uh, this has been very organic how this has ended up. I basically give my authors one marching order, and that is write about something that you think is fun and that you're passionate about. And if you do that, it will be contagious, and your fellow modelers will catch that vision, and they'll enjoy it. Boy, I never know what I'm going to get, but I never cease to be amazed at how wonderful and creative uh, the material that's submitted to me is. I have to ask before I let you go, do ON30 modelers really have the most fun in the hobby? And if so, what's up with that? I don't think there's any doubt that ON30 modelers are having fun, fun, fun. And I think it's primarily because they have a sense of freedom that I think we lost in other areas of the hobby. ON30 modelers have come to the conclusion that there is no right way, there's lots of ways, and if I just go ahead and build something, I'm going to have fun doing it. And that's what we do, and that's what we try and promote at the ON30 Annual. Just go build something and have some fun. I guess you could say that's the right way to do the hobby, is to make sure you're actually doing it. 
it and not sitting around worrying about it. Chris, thanks for joining us on the Model Railway Show today. It's been a real treat. It was my pleasure, Trevor. Thank you very much for having me. Chris Lane is the editor of the ON30 Annual from Carson's Publications. You can pick up the 2011 edition right now. It's bigger than ever. I confess, Trevor, I too have succumbed to the ON30 bug. Nothing serious, but a small ON30 layout on the side is sometimes a nice change from the big layout that's hogging one's time and real estate. Doing something a little different can help charge the batteries. It's also a great way to explore the narrow-gauge side of the hobby. Speaking of exploring, be sure to check out the photos of narrow-gauge modeling on our Flickr gallery and visit our website, themodelrailwayshow.com, for interesting links to go along with our interviews. And we're pleased that so many of you are pleased with our approach to model railroad podcasting. We're going to continue to keep the Model Railway Show a short, focused, and we hope entertaining program. If you have any comments on how we're doing, we'd like to hear from you. Send along a note to either Trevor or me. Well, it's time to clear two square feet of space on the workbench as we welcome to the show a man who knows his way around a hobby knife and a scale rule. Bob Walker has a half-century of scratch-building to his credit, and as Jim explains, Bob has just scratch-built himself a new book. Bob Walker's ON3 Rio Grande Southern has been featured in the February 2002 Railroad Model Craftsman. And while the whole layout is a jewel, its scratch-built structures really stand out. One of my favorite model railroad activities is scratch-building structures, and one of the first columns I head for with each new issue of Railroad Model Craftsman is Bob's Scratch-Builder's Corner. Well, if you do a column long enough, you end up with enough fodder for a book. Well, guess what? Bob now has one. It's called Scratch-Building for Model Rail. Railroaders, Craftsman Techniques Made Simple, and it's available through Karsten's Publishing. This 130-page book is chock-full of scratch-building advice and observations, as well as scores of color photos of the fine structures on Bob's layout. It covers structures from the foundations to the finials, as well as the tools, techniques, and materials available to see these projects through to completion. There are other tips, such as blending the structures into the landscape, force perspective, and even modeling during TV commercials. With the plethora of ready-to-run stuff out there these days, one might ask, why scratch build at all? Of course, that's a loaded question for those who enjoy the activity, but we'll ask Bob anyway to see what he has to say. Bob Walker joins us now on the Model Railway Show. Welcome, Bob. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be here. Well, listen, right off the top, there are a couple of phrases that seem to pop out of the script often in your writing. One is, ask me how I know this, and uh, the other is from experience. These sound like the words of a man who learned how to do the right things by doing the wrong things first. Am I right? You certainly are. A lot of times I lead with my chin. I found a lot of things that work, but I made some colossal blunders over the last 50 years, and I thought I might as well share them with my readers. There's no sense in being arrogant about this. I'm about as far from perfect as you can get. The experience part is the fact that I've been doing this for over 50 years, and some knowledge actually rubbed off. Not a lot, but some. Uh, you're being a little too modest. Actually, you picture your one of your very first scratch-built models, if not the f- first scratch-built model you did at what, age 13? I believe that that was the first serious one, the, well, the, the one I can talk about, put it that way. <laughs> well, you know, it looks pretty darn good for a 13-year-old, so uh, take a bow anyway. Now, uh, you're one of the two principals of AccuRail, which manufactures great-looking plastic freight cars for the HO market. Before we get fully into our topic, perhaps you can tell us how it is that AccuRail services a a scale different to the one you choose for your home layout. Is that a deliberate choice to keep the hobby? No, it's not. I started in ON3 in 1970. 
I started Accurail in 1986. All right, I had already been OM3 for several years. As an aside, as a manufacturer, there is only one scale that you can really make a living in. That's HL. The other scales, all included, are crowded enough with MTH and Lionel to break in and actually try to make your living at it would be nigh on to impossible. The business and the hobby are two completely different things. A business is a business. I mean, we're dealing with injection molding, pad printing, regulation issues. There's tool making. And, and that. We have nine employees to consider. and Basically, it's got nothing whatever to do with the hobby with the exception of product selection. So we'll move on to the love of the hobby then, instead of the capitalist part of it. Karsten's already has a book on scratch-building structures by your good pal Wayne Wazolowski. Uh, what made you do yours, and how would you say the two books complement each other, Bob? First of all, for a long time, Wayne's book was out of print. It was published 30 years ago. It was published in 1981. The two books are basically apples and oranges. Wayne's book is a narrowly focused book on how to scratch build mostly out of wood. And it offers a lot of insight into that medium. And it was one of my Bibles. And, of course, Wayne is one of my very best friends. The book I wrote covers a lot more materials and a lot more methodologies. Plaster, styrene, paper, and good old cardstock. I think they complement each other, just like Model Railroad or an RMC, a truly serious hobbyist gets both magazines. They contain very little in the line of duplication. Wayne and I have been friends for so long that when he lived in Marengo, I was going up to the Illinois Railway Museum like every weekend. and We got together quite a bit, and then he moved to Elburn, which just happens to be where AccuRail is located. And Wayne and I talk on a regular basis. As a matter of fact, it was just quite recently that he ended up chasing a rattlesnake out of his shop. <laughs> Oh, he's still hard at it. A rattlesnake. I think I yeah. had it rough with mice. He called police, and they said, sorry, we deal with this stuff all the time. You'll have to deal with it yourself. Wayne is a Midwestern boy, not used to these things, so he called a friend that was out there, and the guy came and got the thing. Apparently, it was fairly sizable, but uh, <laughs> Wayne is like me. A lot of times, we get into areas we don't really understand. But isn't so. that the fun of the hobby? I, most guys I know in the hobby that are really enjoying it are inveterate tinkerers. They, they're always trying something new. Oh, yeah, absolutely. To remain static is not really what the people in this hobby are into. I have an opinion, and maybe it's arrogant, but I think most model railroaders are basically a cut above the normal people. They have higher IQs. They tend to be more curious. They tend to be more skilled in a lot of areas. Maybe it's just my own personal prejudice, but I think they're basically better people in a lot of ways. Our apologies to the stamp collectors out there. There you go. <laughs> Although some model railroaders are also stamp collectors. You're darn right. You've got to be careful where you tread here. Well, I raised yeah. the question in my intro. Why would anyone scratch build in this day of age of assembled and even assembled and, and weathered structures? Well, because the variety is small. Assembled structures, you would be two or three companies and that's it. And there, a lot of railroads have what I call signature structures, the RGS especially, but a Santa Fe number two depot, they're scattered all over everywhere, and I don't think there's any ready to plant. The model railroading is such a creative hobby. How could you not want a scratch build? It's just unbelievable to me that someone would want, you know, build my bench work for me, ballast my track for me, do my scenery for me. Build my freight cars for me. I guess Why don't what, you have somebody yeah. come and operate your railroad, too? I'm sure some do. I guess it's whatever floats your boat, right? I suppose. Yeah. I well, think today we're looking at less model railroaders and more like collectors. It's what you have, not what you've built. Now, you've been around doing this 50 years. Who are your scratch-building heroes? Well, 
Uh, some of them, a lot of your listeners probably haven't even heard of. Paul Larson, who used to be the editor of Model well, Railroader, yep. Mm-hmm. And who had also written a lot of articles in a later time for Carson's, an excellent, excellent modeler. Brian Nolan, who recently passed away, was probably one of the best modelers on the planet. The guy was just incredible. I learned a tremendous amount from him. And, of course, Wayne Wesolowski. Oh, yes. Yeah, the good doc has been, not only is he a longtime personal friend, but an incredible builder. When he was doing the Lincoln train, he came over to AccuRail to seek Dennis's and my advice a good once a week for almost a year, and we discussed that train ad infinitum. It's an but, amazing uh, model. It really is an amazing It is. Model. Well, it's several models. He yeah. did the locomotive and mm-hmm. the, the yeah. funeral car itself, and boy, is it well-traveled. Well, you mentioned so, you yeah. like to experiment, Bob. How are things like computers and rapid prototyping of models changing or helping the art of model building? Does this kind of stuff interest you at all? Computers, Yeah. Computers make research a ton easier. A lot of times, if you need to know something quickly, I just run upstairs, hop on, Google it, and I've got the information I need. Same thing when I'm writing a column. I just use the other computers app over to Google and find the information. As far as rapid prototyping goes, well, (laughs) it's not there yet. It's got a long way to go to be usable. We looked into it at AccuRail for some pilot model things, and my partner, who's an incredible modeler, did enough of the research, and he seems to feel the same way I do, that it's not quite there yet for model building. Uh, Rapid prototyping is still very expensive. Uh, It's like saying all, all scratch builders need a laser in their basement. Someday, yes, it will be there, but it's not there yet. Question is, will we be there to see it? I doubt it. Yeah. Well, listen, one last question. Do you get the same thrill that I do when you go through your scrap and parts boxes and discover you have enough stuff to actually build a structure for free? Oh, yeah. Uh, In fact, I think I wrote a column on that back about 30 years ago. But my scrap box is actually five or six boxes, different categories of stuff. And I could probably go down there right now and build five all different. And, yeah, it really does help. The longer you're in it, the bigger your scrap box. You bet. Well, Bob Walker, let me compliment you and Karsten's publishing on your new book, Scratch Building for Model Railroaders. It's a book I'm going to be referring to often. And for only $20, uh, so should any listener wanting to sharpen their scratch building skills. Uh, Congratulations. That book is, yes, I wrote it, and yes, I did the photography, but the book was basically made by Chris Lane, my editor. Chris is a consummate professional, and without him, it would just be a hodgepodge of photos and information. Chris is the one that made it into a book, and he has just green-lighted me for a second book. Okay, we'll wait for that, and uh, Chris Lane, take a bow. (laughs) Thank you very much. I've been talking to master scratch builder Bob Walker here on the Model Railway Show. Well, that's our show for this time around. It's time to head back to the workbench to finish that ON30 critter and that string of origimis. Don't forget to visit us at themodelrailwayshow.com or find us on Facebook. And a reminder that the best way to listen to the show is by signing up for a free podcast subscription. You can find us on iTunes, podcast.com, and podfeed.net, and then you'll never miss an episode. In closing, a tip of the cap to the guys who make us look and sound good. Music director Dave Woodhead, web designer Otto Vondrack, and our technical guy Chris Abbott. Chris would like you to know that no electrons were harmed in the making of this show, but a few were seriously inconvenienced. On the next edition of the Model Railway Show, 
It's hard enough getting boys interested in the hobby these days, but what about women and girls? We talked to Mary Miller, the NMRA's first female master model railroader, about what attracted her to trains and what we can do to encourage more women to become serious hobbyists. And what do you do if you just don't have time to build that home hobby shop's worth of rolling stock kits? One answer is to hire someone to build and paint them for you, so you can focus on the rest of the hobby. We talked to Builder for Hire, Pierre Oliver of Elgin Car Shops, to find out how it works and what questions you should ask when looking for one. For Trevor Marshall, I'm Jim Martin. Try listening to us while you build something for the layout. And we'll catch you next time on The Model Railway Show. 